Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. Before we get rolling, I want to mention that this episode does contain talk of some legal matters. Neither my guests nor I are lawyers, so anything you hear should be taken as personal experience and not legal advice. My guest this week is George Browning, a software developer with Zengobi. It, it, you've been on here before. It's been over five years, George. Uh, that's completely my fault. I need to, to be more active in all this. The takeaway for me is Systematic has been running for over five years. Yeah, congratulations. I don't know how. It stopped making money a long time ago. So <laughs> <laughs> somehow, somehow. You helped drive the podcast boom. <laughs> oh, So how have you been? Uh, doing well. Uh, about a month ago, I released Curio 12. It's the 12th version of our uh, brainstorming uh, software product for the Mac. And i uh, uh, been shipping since 2004. So it's been a long time uh, working on this. And um, so it's that post-release, post-major release uh, uh, exhaustion, really, because um, there's just so much involved with getting the release out the door. Should we talk a little bit about Curio before we talk about release stress? Uh, sure. Um, so I, I write about Curio on my blog. I think it's a, just an insanely flexible brainstorming and kind of note taking. And these days it even does project management. Like you can basically have like your own Gantt charts spread out across spaces um, and pull together tasks from all your different uh, areas. It's it's kind of crazy. But it's way easier to get into than something like Devon Think, which is also kind of crazy, but I like it's almost it's flexible in a different way. It's very powerful, but Curio is it's super intuitive for me. So there, now I told you all about Curio. That's that's <laughs> awesome. You can do uh the 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 page on our website that describes what Curio does. Um, um I want to do that for more people. I want to write their pages. <laughs> What we wanted to create is a just a freeform notebook. We didn't want any structure to it. Uh, we wanted you to be able to put notes anywhere on this page. It was so flexible. We said instead, ah, instead of a page, it's an idea space, and and so you can put figures wherever you want. You can drag in images. You can do uh, uh, movies. You can. Uh, um, bring in files and documents, hyperlinks. And then we said, what more can we do? And it's like, well, let's allow the user to create lists anywhere on the page, uh, mind maps on the page, pin boards, al photo albums, uh, stacks like Kanban stacks, uh, tables and index cards. So basically we're trying to give you everything you need to get stuff done, to help you manage your projects. And with all that information, you can assign tons of metadata, uh, tags and flags and dates and checkboxes. Um, and that's where it can uh, sync in with calendars or reminders, but really help you manage all the uh, documents and notes and tasks you have associated with the project. One of the things I really love is that nothing's ever fully trapped in Curio. Like you can, if you want, you can make it all links to external files and all of your mind maps and everything are easily portable in a dozen different formats into like, I can take a mind map from Curio and drop it right into like uh, iThoughts or yes. MindNode. Yes. Yes. And vice versa. Um, I can even embed a MindNode map in Curio. It's, right. It's awesome. 
Yeah, it's um, it's nice, and it's funny how um, people use it for so many different things. Um, where I, originally designing it, the uh, target market was actually uh, graphic designers, graphic artists, and uh, multimedia designers, things like that. And then it kind of started expanding, but very quickly. We're talking back in uh, late 2002, 2003, 2004. Suddenly, we had professors using it, scientists using it, just uh, writers and authors and filmmakers. And every just it was uh, basically everything you can do with a real-world notebook, you could do with Curio. So it's that same free-form interface. Um, just do whatever you want with it. It's in digital form and, you know, have a ball. Yeah, I, I think uh, my current use case might be enlightening for people. I have started doing my show notes for these podcasts in Curio and each guest gets their own space. And then that space starts with a template that has a list of all the things I'm supposed to talk to the guests about before we get online. <laughs> um, and uh, a blank skeleton for show notes, top picks, things like that. Uh, right. Then a, a little box where I can drag in emails directly from my email client, uh, where if guests send me like bullet lists of their interests and things before the show, I can collect all that there. And then some scratch notes I can drag in when I get headshots from the guests, I can drag those in uh, so that I have them when I'm ready to post. It's kind of a perfect system for me because all those things are you know it's a disparate collection of of information that doesn't exactly. always fit in one like nv alt note for me right right yeah i'm loving and it. so that's what uh so every major release it's expanding upon either the brainstorming tools or the research tools or the note-taking tools um with this release, uh, it's kind of nice wearing all the different hats. I'm, since I'm an indie developer of this uh, company of mine, um, I just he started hearing more and more about Markdown uh, from my customers uh, on the web, uh, other products. And I said, you know, maybe for Curio 12, let's tackle Markdown. And um, uh, I, it was a bit of a gamble. I was worried I'd have like five people come back and say, yes, uh, always looking forward to Markdown. Uh, it's been a huge, huge hit in this uh, past month. People have been extremely excited about the uh, uh, Markdown support. and um, So it was more than just me? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, gosh, Brett, okay, I'll add it one day. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it was uh, uh, well done, the implementation. There are a lot of apps that kind of support a, a version of Markdown and have uh, limited support, I guess. Uh, your implementation is complete. You can export an entire idea space with all those different kinds of information as a markdown text document, and it will convert uh, mind maps, lists, paragraph text, uh, images, even yep. like it'll export a perfect and you can preview it in mark. That's you can right. see a whole idea space, not just one mind map, an entire idea space. And as you drag things around, uh, in the space, it changes the order of the document in really, again, intuitive ways. Like you don't have to have things perfectly aligned left to right or top to bottom. It It's guessed right every time. And that's, um, well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> um, that was actually one of the biggest uh, reasons we had. Uh, I had a lot of customers that just wanted other ways of exporting their data and I th and not everybody knows Markdown. So Curio, if you just say, "Hey, export uh, these figures or this idea space or this entire project," 
as a markdown file, um, it will generate the markdown for you. It will, you know, do the correct syntax for bold and italics and things like that. It will do, if you have figure notes, it can make those uh, their markdown footnotes, um, the images, uh, asset figures, uh, everything. Um, and, and like you said, lists in my map and stacks turn into markdown lists, uh, tables to markdown tables. Um, so try to make everything transparent and easy so that you could instantly get your export as Markdown, but then also support uh, Markdown in our text fields, uh, our text figures, um, allow you to drag in a Markdown list and turn it into a curio list, a Markdown table, turn it into a curio table. So it's, it's, been, it's been a blast. It, uh, like I said, a very complete implementation. Um, so given that, uh, like the detail that you put into that release time has to get stressful. Yes. And um, it's funny, I'm adding more uh, markdown features uh, for a, a little point release coming out sometime. Um, and it, it's fun. Um, uh, this lasted, this development cycle for 12 lasted longer than I thought. One was because mark or longer than I anticipated. Um, one was because of markdown. Uh, it's more complex than I thought. Uh, the other was um, have extensive uh, new features in uh, our PDF exporting as well, and juggling the features and bugs of uh, Mac OS 10.12 and 10.13 and some of the new methods and functionality, and this bug over here and this bug over on this machine, and it was driving me insane. So, uh, yeah, there's more PDF exporting features, but they were a struggle to implement on time. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've dealt with the same. Uh, I had started to write a full uh, custom PDF export for Marked. Uh, right now, it uses uh, WebKit's wow. PDF export. Um, right, right. Which happens to break internal links in a document, which is the primary reason I wanted to write my own. And everything I had is now uh, uses a bunch of deprecated methods, which yes. left me. Uh, <laughs> pulling what little hair I have out and deciding well, to work on other things for a while. And that's one of the features of Curio 12 is I made it so that the inner project PDF links uh, or links in the uh, PDF export work for uh, figure actions and idea space links and all that kind of uh, jump actions. Um, those were a pain. And there's little code for this is if you're on a 10.12 system, this is 10.13 up. And it was like, wow, this is... Uh, long, uh, it was complex. Yeah. You usually don't have to branch code like that within yeah. two, two point releases, you know, like, it, it, yeah. Like if you're trying to make it compatible with like 10.9, yeah, you're probably going to have to write branched code uh, with compiler directives, but from 10, 12 to 10, 13, they don't usually don't, <laughs> they don't break things that quickly. The, I will say, I, th I do think they're, uh, whoever is now working on the PDF kit, I do think they're uh, on the right path. Um, so I'm looking forward to 1014 and, you know, where <laughs> they go. But hopefully it piggybacks on 1013 and doesn't, you know, give me another interface to work with. So w what do you do? Uh, how, how do you stay sane when you're heading up to a release and during the couple of days after the initial announcement? How do I stay sane? Um, uh, I guess uh, walking the dog at the park, uh, 
you know, she's my assistant. So I'll talk to her about uh, a customer issue or uh, an issue with the website or, you know, something. Um, So it helps just to bounce ideas off somebody. And it's great because she doesn't, you know, uh, contradict me that often. So it's um, there's there's a lot because you're rolling out a new website. You've got to make sure uh, you know your order scripts are ready. Uh, and this is just beyond just getting your product ready and you know a successful beta and things like that. So there's a lot to tackle. Yeah. So do you have like uh, long checklists to ensure um, you yeah. cover all the all those bases? Yes. Um, although it seems like something new comes up every year. There was uh, uh, when um, uh, Kagi, who I used to use for my payment processing, uh, they announced at midnight one night that they were shutting down and suddenly uh, I had uh, no store. And so I had to qu- quickly get going with a new uh, payment processor and I hooked up with Paddle and they've been awesome. But that was one little wrinkle during that release. And then uh, for this release, it was this uh, GDPR stuff, the uh, privacy mm-hmm. uh, regulation that's hitting um on May 25th and, um, realizing that, oh my gosh, I have to tackle, this isn't just, you know, a quick update to the privacy policy. This is, this is a lot of work. And, um, so that added a few weeks to the release cycle as well. Yeah. Um, I think anyone in anyone who collects email addresses, anyone who collects analytics data, anyone who does any kind of marketing online is, being affected and if they're anything like me they're very uncertain that they know the full scope of all the requirements and we have a week as of this recording we have one week to figure it all out there's a lot and and it goes into effect for all the eu countries you know when it's made uh 25th and it's for it impacts all companies that deal with anybody that's in those EU countries, uh, even a visitor in an EU country. So um, it, everything that you're collecting, you really have to go into detail on, on uh, what you're collecting and how you're collecting it and what you're doing with it. And there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and Paddle has done a good job. They are GDPR ready on that end. Paddle is awesome. They they were on it early and uh, rolled out some changes so we could all check them out and um, then push through some early releases so we can get that going. And uh, so that they're on the ball. They've been awesome during all this. And Google is, I believe, um, as far as like running analytics and logs and everything, they're going to be wiping out prior data. Right. And um, I, my biggest concern is that Paddle has been collecting email addresses for me for a long time, and I do zero email marketing. So I've never even opened that list. Uh, it's It's got thousands of email addresses in it, and I don't even have a MailChimp account that can handle that number. So because you're supposed to like get everyone to reauthorize, to like resubscribe basically with, with more permissions. Essentially, yes. And um, it, well, Paddle's been smart about this. So basically, if you had asked a correctly phrased um, opt-in so that the user could explicitly opt into a mailing um, with their uh, vendor interface uh, when you set up your store in, in months past, um, then those, I believe, those email addresses are still valid. If you didn't have a consent checkbox um, or you're not using their brand new checkbox, which just came online uh, past couple of weeks, um, 
then I believe they've wiped out all those other email addresses as far as the mailing list is concerned. So they are very, being very strict about uh, uh, the email address handling. Wait, and so not they've just, already done the work for me? Yeah. Huh. I, double check with your person there. Yeah, but, no, yeah, I, they've just, done a, I just a emailed great job Harrison sure this okay. morning. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel way better. Yeah. was a weight just got lifted off me. Thanks for that. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so, so you had that complication uh, in addition to all of the, you know, uh, do you, when, when you release software, is your beta testing process thorough enough? Do you get enough interaction that you can release pretty bug-free software? I've been lucky with that, yes. Um, I've got uh, a small group of just power users and they're awesome at just hitting the product and and trying a million different things. And I give it to them early so that they can work with it and uh, uh, go through a number of uh, beta releases with them. Um, I've toyed with the idea of a uh, public release or um, a public beta. Uh, I, as a one-person company, I'm not sure I can handle the juggling of you know, uh, widespread thousands of people writing uh, regarding some issue. Yeah. Uh, so the the way it is right now is working out very well. But I'm thinking of uh, for the next release expanding it out a little bit more. Um, uh, some of the uh, customers that have been with me, uh, some of them have have been using Curio literally since version one. So it's like, wow, let's see if we can pull some of those people in. Yeah, I got it. I uh, so the last release of Mark was in development for over a year. And wow. it covered a lot of different areas because much like Curio, but not to the extent of Curio, Marked is designed to work for academics, to work for screenplay writers or screenwriters. It's designed to work for technical writers, authors, all of these different areas. And they all have very specific needs uh, that rarely right. even overlap. So right. I can I can get one area working great. But in the process, introduce a bug that affects a different area. And all of my beta testers, very few people wear multiple of any of those hats. So getting a good cross segment of people that can test everything has been a challenge. Also, yes, I'm really uh, bad at at uh, email marketing, things like that, keeping lists. I, I don't do a great job. I shoot myself well, in the foot a lot. <laughs> Well, on the other hand, you're now you avoided that privacy problem. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I got to look into uh, Tender, my uh, what I use for support forums. Make right. sure that's going to be GDPR because the the penalty, if you let's say send out a mass email to a bunch of people who. Uh, did not necessarily opt in. Uh, they just failed to opt out. Uh, there are some very stiff fines in the in tens of thousands of dollars, and you can uh, be yeah. sued. Yes, that, that there are some very uh, stiff fines based on your annual revenue uh, or um, uh, or also a flat ro uh, rate. Um, so those would certainly keep you on your toes. I would hope that those are mainly going after the, the Facebooks of the world, um, you know, that are really collecting this treasure trove of data. Sure. Um, for most uh, 
smaller software companies like like our companies um, uh, and others that might be listening to this podcast, uh, with the amount of information you have, you really do have to uh, keep track of exactly how you're using it um, and and uh, document that. Uh, the updated privacy policy I now have on Zengobi's website um, is is very detailed on what information I'm getting, uh, even during the paddle purchase, how paddle exchanges information, uh, with, uh, some of my scripts and, um, what I'm storing and how I'm storing it, what I'm going to do with that data, uh, what information is not private, uh, is not personally identifiable. Um, and then, and then I also now have a new mailing list where I keep track of all that information, uh, separately from the customer data, uh, so you can sign up for a mailing list, um, but then there are certain rules about that. You need to record the specific opt-in date and time, so you can uh, correlate that to a specific privacy policy. Um, if they unsubscribe, or sorry, or opt out, uh, you need to record that opt-out date. Um, and then I turn around and and do a one-way hash of their email address. Uh, so in it's kind of neat actually. I can see um, that I've. I have somebody subscribe to uh, my newsletter or my mailings uh, at this time with this privacy policy in place. Um, and uh, if they uh, if they opt out, uh, they do it at this time. I hash their email address. Um, if they later come back and they purchase the product and check the little box on Paddle to say they want to opt into mailings, then I add a new row uh, documenting that and the date and time and how they did it. They did it through Paddle, not through the subscription screen. So there's a lot that can go in there. It's it's amazing to me that you made that fun for yourself. You mm. found you found a way to enjoy all that extra work. Uh, oh yeah, it was a blast. It was a blast. <laughs> no, actually, what was great is that it really makes you step back and look at everything that you've had. In my case, like I said, since Zengobi's been around for so long, we had a lot of older data from like when we used Kagi. And uh, they were collecting addresses and and cities, states, everything else. And we, you know, they send us all that data. And when they shut down, they send us that data, of course, if you didn't already have it. Um, and uh, looking back now, I'm like, wow, that was a lot of uh, personally identifiable information. Well, all that information is now wiped out of our tables. Um, I, you know, Zengobi is only collecting what we need. Uh, you know, we need your email address so we can turn around and email you your license key. Uh, if you then purchase a, a product in the future, we need that license key and email address so we can give you a upgrade discount. Um, so certain things we need to have, um, uh, certain things like we, we, we're no longer automatically signing you up for uh, the mailing list. In the past, if you had been automatically, uh, with no warning, basically signing them up for a mailing list, then that's bad. You can't carry that forward. Um, well, that's bad there anyway. Are that's bad anyway. Um, some places didn't. I mean, way back in the day, some of the payment providers, there was no place to really ask for consent. And if you needed to reach your customers, um, the only way is because of, you had their email address. And so you can let them know you had a new release. Um, so some of that was kind of the limitations at the time. Um, then people started putting like the checkbox in there, um, but maybe it was pre-checked. Right. Uh, saying, yeah, let me let me in on the, the mailings. That one, it sounds like that's valid uh, if you want to carry those older customers uh, into the, the uh, post-May 25th. Um, they call that a soft opt-in exception. Um, 
only if they actually purchased the product from you because it was part of the sale. Sure. Uh, going forward, you can't have that pre-ticked anymore. It can't be pre-checked. So you actually have to start from scratch uh, and say, you know, do you opt in? It's not checkmarked and, um, and, and see if they'll opt into it. But I just had to go through and send one last mass mailing the past couple of days to a previous customer saying, I'm wiping everybody out from our mailing list. And if you want to sign up, here's how you do it, either through the upgrade screen uh, when you purchase the product on the paddle screen uh, or through our new subscribe page. And those are the only two ways now, but all the old data is gone. I think wiping out all my old data is probably less of a headache for me than trying to make use of something I've never used before anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> it's a fun world for software developers. <sighs> it, it is. Um, and of course, all of us are getting these GDPR uh, emailings now. And I, I worry that some people are just immediately putting it in the junk folder or spam folder and forgetting about <laughs> Create it. Create a but filter for anything with GDPR in the title. Exactly. But it's it's a good idea to see how people have updated their privacy policy. You might be surprised at what they're tracking or what they're not tracking. Um, and just it makes you think about, wow, why are they collecting that data and who are they sharing it with? Um, it's uh, just to have a better handle on what's going on and how easy is it to remove yourself if you're tired of using a service? How easy is it to remove you either, either retrieve all the data they have on you or remove yourself from their site, uh, their service. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things. And actually, as part of the mandate, the privacy policy has to be human readable. It can't be full of legalese. Sure. Um, so well, it has to be more of that? a... Is it a, like a Turing test for it? Uh, yeah, that would be awesome. Or some sort of uh, script you could run on your uh, site, you know, sort of like a fog index or something. Yeah. But if... if um, it, it basically, if you can just kind of casually read uh, without being confronted with a lot of uh, you know huge legalese words, um, then you will have an understanding of what's being collected. And pretty much everybody has to say the same thing: uh, what we collect and how we use that information. And then how can we, you know, how can you get us to forget you? <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, here's so. a here's a tip: uh, when you're confronted with a privacy policy, you could. Select all, copy, open up marked, and then hit Command Shift V, which creates a new markdown file from the clipboard, and then hit Command I, and it would show you the uh, target grade level and oh yes, uh, reading time and the fog index, and the flesh oh, score. Yeah. So you could pretty yeah, quickly determine if this is if this is at all readable to a person or not. Right. Well, it's funny. I've been, now, since I'm kind of into all this now, I've been actually going through some other GDPR policies, and it's like, oh my gosh! I mean, it would surprise you what what some people are collecting, what some companies are collecting. Which is, I assume, the point of the whole thing. Um, and we should probably talk about what the uh, the benefits of GDPR for uh, for everyone uh, who's who functions online, because it 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 might be for European countries, but. Uh, except for in cases like where I think Facebook uh, or Instagram kind of found a workaround. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but uh, I think for the most part, everyone online is having to conform to these new, broader, more transparent rules, which can only be a good thing right now. That, that's right. And if you do it universally and not just based on 
you know, an IP address range coming from the European Union countries, um, then you're giving that same privacy policy to uh, to everybody. And um, the GDPR is all about how you're storing the, the data. It's a general data protection regulation. So it's how you're protecting the data that you're collecting. Um, another one that's coming online very soon is called the e-privacy regulation. And that piggybacks or works with uh, the GDPR and it's how data is protected in transit and it impacts uh, emails and cookies and things like that. So um, it's in kind of the final forms and uh, should be finalized hopefully by the end of 2018, 2019. So when you're researching all this and maybe I'll send you some links and you can I would put it up on that. like the show summary, but um, this information uh, kind of goes hand in hand uh, what information you're protecting and how you're getting that information. Um, they, since they work together, you can use that information to help you determine your own privacy policies and what things you need to roll out. I, uh, I found on Product Hunt today a link to a guide for people mm -hmm. to prepare for GDPR. And to get the guide, you had to enter emails to email address to download it and everything. So Isn't you, that a, you got to see the, the opt opt in opt out uh, kind of switch over there and yes. but but people can actually charge money to consult because it's it's a scary enough proposition for a lot of uh, developers but I like you said though people are getting their inboxes filled with all of these we need you to resubscribe emails and I do think there's going to be an overload I, I think. People are going to stop reading them at all, but it really is in everyone's best interest. Yeah, I read this awesome example, um, an analogy with the uh, pizza delivery service, um, and it was you didn't have to opt in to giving them your your physical, in this case, a physical address for a pizza delivery, but you didn't. That doesn't give them really the permission to use your uh, your your physical address for a future marketing campaign. That's it's not really the legitimate interest in why they collected your postal address. If they did, that's kind of sneaky. Well, now that that kind of thing isn't allowed in the GDPR. That you actually have to opt in to. Oh yeah, and go ahead and send me some ads. And you can carry those same lessons to the software world where it makes sense that you got their email address if you have to email them their license key. But that doesn't mean that you're immediately, you know, automatically allowed to start sending them uh, a mailing list. Um, uh, marketing uh, mailings. So uh, it's that same kind of thing that you're, that you're trying to, you need to opt into. Um, I, I've been trying to put myself in kind of a European mindset where it's all about the privacy. Uh, do, why do I need this information? Do I, you know, am I being honest about uh, how I'm using this information? How can I clarify that? Um, and maybe even things like, do I need to hold on to that data for such a long time? Or do I really only need it for the 60 days and then wipe it out? So um, really helps you kind of look back at your stuff and say, you know, I don't want to be part of a Cambridge Analytica type thing. Right. And, and uh, let me clean up my act. I, uh, I, I run giveaways on my blog I have for years. And uh, for people to enter, they have to give me an email address so that if they win, I can contact them. But the entry forms have always said your email is used only for contacting winners mm. and uh, for nothing else. And I have perfect. regularly every time a giveaway is over and the winners have been contacted and I've received <laughs> confirmation, I delete the entire database of entries. Awesome. And that's to great. Me, that's 
I, that I didn't need to be asked to do that. Like I made a promise. I keep promises. Like you if you violate trust, even the way Facebook has, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost yeah. you in users and customers and uh, goodwill. So yeah, yeah, don't screw people. That's the, uh, I, I would almost say don't, don't be evil, but uh, <laughs> that's I been sullied. Well, and Google kind of ruined that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. All right. Well, that brings us to the uh, top three picks section. Okay. So we go one at a time back and forth and the guest gets to go first. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. For my number one choice, I it's two apps that I, so I'm unfair here, it's two, but it's um, this combo that I use and it's BB Edit and Transmit. And I have been living in those two apps for the past month um, as I've been, well, BB Edit even longer, uh, as I've been getting these, uh, uh, the release notes and the website and everything else ready and then pushing it all up to, to make it live. Um, those two apps have been saving my butt the past uh, number of weeks it's been they've been fantastic love those guys are there any apps currently being updated that are older than bb edit oh gosh um yeah what did he hit uh, the 25th uh anniversary uh, something like that yeah 25th or 26th it's amazing um it's but you know kudos to him yeah for sure um bearable software yeah and transmit is a really good app i still use yummy ftp if i'm not on oh. the command line but uh, transmit definitely i own it i paid for it because i was impressed enough with it especially because it can included in the base price create droplets that you can give to other people uh and allow them to upload to a server oh. without having to share your credentials oh that's slick i didn't know that yeah. i mean i knew about the droplets i didn't know about the sharing part that's kind of cool i think the the other person has to own transmit uh, for okay. it to work uh, right that makes there, sense. Yummy FTP has a companion app that can actually make single use mini FTP apps that you can share and give people access through their own password without having to update FTP users or anything. Clever. I, that would be handy. Sometimes customers have to send me a project file and they inevitably use like a Dropbox share or yeah. something like that. But, um, you know, something where it piggybacks on uh, on the Zagobi website, I'd be fine with. Yeah, I uh, I do have a a Dropbox upload PHP script so users can go and select a file and upload it to to my Dropbox via the web. That that's works awesome. well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, one feature I would I'd love for Transmit to add is uh, I panic to add to Transmit is um, a way of doing a diff between the local version and the remote version because I'm always forgetting. Oh, okay, there's a difference. What did I do wrong? And uh, I swear it did that. It, if it did, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know this. I, I, know I, could that be, have... I could be entirely off base. It just seemed like something that I noticed on the last version. Oh, man. Um, because I know you can actually like mount your uh, remote server as a file, as a drive, a right. remote drive, and basically do a, a, you know, a file merge diff uh, between all the files. But it, that could take a while to actually, you know, to mount it and bring everything down. Um, I but, think I think I'm actually thinking of forklift. Ah, all right, transmit. Add that. <laughs> and by the way, I didn't mean to. It was not at all disparaging to say how old BB Edit is because Rich has updated that so regularly, and it is yes. a 
it is a modern piece of software. It's just impressive that it has been around for as long as it has. Yes, and through uh, the Mac OS to Mac OS 10. Well, I guess now we're back to Mac OS, but anyway, you know, <laughs> through all the uh, the, the different uh, architectures. Yeah. All right. Good pick. I can support Thanks. that. Um, okay. So my first pick, as listeners know, I've been allowing myself to get into the Amazon Alexa world. Oh, I said her name. <laughs> Cancel. <laughs> um, but uh i discovered a little while ago the uh blueprints feature for we'll just call her dingus so she doesn't go off again um uh, so at uh, blueprints.amazon.com you can uh create your own questions and answers and so you can have you can ask her a question and have canned responses and this is that's cool great for uh jokes is my yeah. first thought second yeah. it's great for uh pieces of information that are often forgotten what's the wi-fi password for example right, right. uh things that you're going to yell across the house anyway <laughs> and you can also create like there's a default one that uh you when you add them you don't have to say ask this app to to answer this uh, in that default list. If you add other ones, you have to create like, uh, my example would be a pet sitter list. And I have one created where you can say, ask pet sitter what, uh, how much food Lulu gets in the evening. And I would have answers in there so that someone coming into the house who needed, you know, a quick piece of information, but didn't want to look at my laminated pet sitter instructions could just ask you stand in the kitchen and just say how much food does lulu get in the evening and get your answer wow quarter cup of dry food she's a very small dog <laughs> that's a, that's a great use i mean that's a that's a good idea i like it yeah all right so second pick okay Second pick, and I'm not saying this because uh, the podcast is with you, but I have to admit I've been using Marked quite a bit um, and uh, uh, for the past good number of months uh, as I've been doing the Markdown support for Curio 12. Uh, it's been – in fact, I didn't pull up any other Markdown uh, renderers until the, the very recently. And so I was like, oh, crap, I need to make sure this works with other ones as well. Um, but Mark, Mark has been very good at finding uh, where I was not exporting correctly or where I should be doing something different with the, the wording or the syntax or something like that. So I've been living with Marked and Curio side by side for months now. That's awesome. I, I appreciate right. you making that a pick, even if it wasn't just because you were on this podcast. Wow. Actually, probably more so because it wasn't just because you were on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. I could yep. talk at length about Marked, but I feel like I do that plenty. Well, we've all heard <laughs> of it. Um, all right. So my second pick, it, it, they're these little magnets I got from Amazon. Uh, Jack Klo magnets. They are, <laughs> I actually bought them for a very specific uh, project. Uh, wanted to make like a magnetic picture frame. Uh-huh and use just like a set bit and embed these so that the frame can just snap together. Um, 
but they are really powerful and I they make great fridge magnets. Uh, they are a little hard to pull off. Although <laughs> they're that larger. powerful. <laughs> they're, it's not insanely powerful, but it, they're small too. These are about uh, the size of, I'm going to just guess around a uh, half inch uh, diameter. Mm-hmm. Maybe even smaller than that. A little hard to grip. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, they're about a quarter inch tall and mm. they can be hard to get a fingernail under. Uh, mm-hmm. But for more permanent applications, especially, these are, they're turning out to be very handy. I have them holding things up around my office on metal surfaces right now, looking into buying like an actual magnet board. They should make an electromagnetic like whiteboard that you could just turn it off and all the magnets would drop off for you into like a reservoir at the bottom. Everything would fall. (laughs) Well, if there's paper under it, they're easy to get off because you can pull them off with the paper. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I suppose that would be a lot of effort to make it easy to get magnets off the surface. But it's a great idea. You should do it. I probably will. (laughs) (sighs) All right. What's your third and final pick? Okay, third pick is uh, I started to do more jogging and walking uh, as the weather's gotten nicer. And um, I've started to get in, into more podcasts. And one I like, I like a lot, is uh, one called How I Built This with Guy Raz. And um, he has been interviewing uh, the startups, uh, several startups, uh, the founders of startups like Stripe and Panera Bread and Wayfair, FUBU and Atari. And I just found those fascinating. Um, it's 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 hard to start up a company, and it's funny how many uh, how many things that these people have said. I mean, the founder of Panera Bread. I'm like, gosh, you know, I went through something like that. And uh, as an entrepreneur, I like hearing what other people are going through when they start businesses, and especially especially some of these very successful businesses. It's great to hear uh, what what they encountered and how they worked around it and things like that. So. Uh, anybody that has their own company, I wholeheartedly recommend how I built this with Guy Raz. Nice. Um, I I linked this on my blog today. I don't know if you saw the post from Ghost, the blogging platform, well, no, about uh, like how they started. Like it started as a Kickstarter, and then they turned it into a nonprofit. And have always developed open source, but they have made a very sustainable platform with a a sustainable model they're making profit and there's no like they don't do any rounds for funding right no Uh, vc there's no runway uh limitation they it's sustainable and it's it's heartening to read about it yeah i'm looking i got it up now i'm gonna i'm gonna read it when we're done this is awesome yeah i'll add that link to this but i i We'll check this podcast out. Yeah. What's your number three? Or was ghost number three? No. Oh. <laughs> um, let's see. So I, after my podcast with Alex uh, from Cards Against Humanity, I got a ping on Twitter. And I, I'm going to be very sorry that I've forgotten who it was from, but I will put a link to it in the show notes um, about an app called MetaSafe. M-E-D-I-S-A-F-E. It is 
because uh, Alex and I had both discussed how reminders was not serving to be an effective way to remind us to take our uh, meds. Mm. And for both of us, uh, missing meds is a really bad thing. Yeah. Um, so MetaSafe is it's a slightly more foolproof, uh, naggier uh, pill reminder. And you can add all of your different medications to it, your dosages, uh, morning, afternoon, evening. And uh, then like it'll come up, it'll pop up the reminder on your phone. If you don't immediately say I took that med, it will it'll nag you and be like, don't wait, awesome. take your meds yeah. now. And then if you if you add if you check the box later, it'll it'll ask, did you take it when you were supposed to or did you take it just now? And that's actually uh, good data for me uh, if I if I'm trying to determine what the best time of day is, especially um, knowing what days I took it uh, at the wrong time and combining that with like data from exist.io can be very useful. Yeah, that's a great, that's great. I believe not- it has, I, I think it has remote, like I think you can have people have access to the alerts. I'm not sure about that. I don't. Oh, so maybe if you had a caregiver, that right? Can, exactly. Oh, I see. That's perfect. Yeah, it would make sense anyway. I I yeah. haven't haven't explored that yet, but yeah, that's a good so thing. I I wanted to make sure anyone else in the uh, medical med- medically requiring more than one pill a day uh, knew about this. Yeah, you might save a life. Who knows. Or yeah. at least at least save someone's day. Uh, going off certain medications, you know, gives people epileptic seizures, for example. There you go. That's might might not be fatal, but uh, definitely can ruin a day. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's uh, an early wrap. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Uh, no, uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> no. Also, well, I mean, no. no, I'm watching emails pile up. No, it's, uh, it's, I, I'm happy to talk as long as you want. I'll send you um, some good links because uh, for this GDPR stuff, because we could spend hours just talking about this, but um, there are a couple of that I think impact most uh, developers out there. There are a couple of main um, recitals in the GDPR regulation and the e-privacy that people need to look at. And um, uh, I'll, I'll send that information to you uh, just so uh, you can share it with the, the show notes. I, I will add it to the show notes. This episode's going to come out uh, a day before GDPR ah, awesome. goes into effect. But I will also share them as a special uh, web excursions post on my blog. Awesome. Well, and also make, let's make sure it says, you know, George is not a lawyer. It's not legal advice. <laughs> I, I, I will add the I, disclaimer. I did not know what GDPR, uh, GDPR was, uh, you know, more than two months ago. So, um, yeah, I'm tackling this as, and learning about this as quickly as I can. Yeah. Aren't we all? Yeah. Are you going to MacStock? No, are you? Oh, I'm speaking. Oh, well, heck yeah. You're going to be there. Yeah. I, I, I've been doing a promo at the end of every episode, um, pre-recorded, but I'm going to do it since we have a little bit of time and I have you like scheduled. No, actually I started late, so I don't. But anyway, um, anyone who can make it to Chicago in July really should come check out 
Max Stuck. I've been there for a couple years in a row now, and it's that perfect kind of like social. You you used to go to MacWorld, right? It's fun. Right. Like it's there's a lot to learn, but also all the Mac nerds are gathering together. Right. And it's just kind of like nonstop hanging out with people, seeing people that you only know online. Right. Uh, that you only yeah. see once every couple of years. And it's kind of becoming a hub for me in that world. Um, so I want as many people to go as possible. <laughs> and uh, if you sign up, if you go to max.conferenceandexpo.com. Uh, and you use the coupon code Indie Nerd, ah. you get you get basically the equivalent of the uh, early bird special, and I get credit for that. It's my own personal code, and there are great fortunes to be had if people sign up through my code. Ah, great! Uh, this is awesome. So, Everybody, act on it right now. Yes, please. Yeah. All right. Well, where can people find you? Uh, go to uh, com for our website. Uh, and our Twitter Twitter handle is Zingobi. And uh, it, I try to come out with news every once in a while. So it's um, that's where you can find me. All right. And I'm Brett Terpstra. I am at TT uh, Scoff. Uh, if you look that up on Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, Facebook, uh, no one uses Last FM but me. I don't think it did have its heyday quite some time ago. I still love it. I still wow. love seeing my listening habits over the course of the year. Although Spotify is making it, Spotify and Apple Music both with their their like end of year playlist, kind of amazing. Like I have yes. a 2015, 2016, and 2017 Spotify like best of the year playlist based on my listening habits. I love those. That's awesome. Yeah. But anyway, um, I also, there's a page hidden on my site that uses the last FM API to bring in like a grid, a wall of like my top albums in that. And, that, and that's what makes you an indie nerd. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and also I'm at brettterpshire.com, uh, spilling nerdery out onto your web browsers page, web browser screen. And I, I think that's probably it for me. You can also hopefully soon catch Overtired here on ESN. Uh, I cannot explain at this point why we haven't been on for a couple months now. Um, You've been a little busy, I think. There was a release in there. There was. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that excuse. You, yeah, you've got a good excuse. All right. Well... <laughs> I feel like I'm just stalling now because I don't want this to be a short episode. Um, thanks for being here. It was wonderful to talk to you again. We should make it not so long before the next one. Definitely. This was a lot of fun. And thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you in a week. You can also find Systematic on Twitter. So to tweet at me and my guest and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening.